God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. He died for me. He died for me. He died for me. He's so good to me. All righty. Can you say amen to that? Amen. That he is so good to me, to us, to each one of us. Okay, verse number three. He loves me so. He loves me so. He loves me so. He's so good to me. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. He's so good to me. Okay. Most of them have been with a by way of a question. This one's not really a question. It's just a statement of the truth. If we really observe things, it says, Every good thing secularists argue for comes from the Bible. And, and uh, yeah, and so that might sound wrong at first, but, but we'll get into it in some depth here. So, first of all, as we've repeated often through this study, uh, Roman numeral one there, as we've seen through this study from this book, secular arguments are simply opinions without authority. They're opinions without authority. Or, if you will, they would, they would either claim they themselves are the authority or they would point to someone that they would say is the authority. <clears throat> but there's no, certainly no, I guess we could have said without absolute authority. They would claim authority, but it's not really authority. We, we have to admit, in our society, we do have an authority structure. There are people who have more authority legally and so forth over us. But, but here we're talking about, when we're talking about truth, um, their arguments don't have authority, certainly not absolute authority. Um, so letter A, under that, because of their, their worldview cannot account for the standard that they're claiming they have, secularists constantly borrow from the biblical worldview to argue against the Bible. (laughs) So they borrow from the Bible to argue against it. Okay, this is something I don't very often do, but honestly, it's it's happened in this book sometimes where I haven't quite understood what the author's point is, and either I just ignore it or I, I change it so that I understand what he's saying or, or try and make it so that it makes sense to you. But here, he, I'm just going to quote him and let's discuss this a little bit. He said, just right off of letter A there, he says, um, ironically, their ability to argue at all shows they're wrong. What do you think he means by that? Or, or do you? No. I do have a kind of a guess here, but I wanted some input from you guys first. Their ability to argue at all shows that they are wrong. Right, they're trying to argue. They think their view is the right one, so they're arguing that their view is the right view. But, but how, is that, how does that make them wrong, almost by default? Okay. They have the ability to have a 
because, because they have a conscience and can actually think and argue, make an argument without realizing it, what is what Denise is saying is that they, they're kind of admitting that they are made in the image of God. They have some ability more than, I don't think they ever talk to a horse or a goat or a chicken, certainly not a chicken, uh, <laughs> about, about such things. We try to talk to our chickens, but yeah, yeah, you can talk to them, but. That's happened to me before. I know, that's why. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't talking to it at the time, though. <laughs> Caught me off guard. That's, I'm, I'm way on top, but they don't know that. Okay. All right, here, here's a possible answer. Let me, let me just throw this out, and if you guys have any more you want to add to it, that's fine. Here's a possible answer, and I think it kind of goes along with what Denise was saying. To argue at anything, you need some basis for determining what is right and what is wrong, or what is true and what is false. But the secularist claims that there really is no authoritative right or wrong. We've covered this before. It's all relative, and each person can determine right and wrong for themselves. So if you start from the foundation, that foundation of reason, foundation quotes, and reason in quotes, then you can't really ever put forth an argument of any substance or that can endure any longer than until the next argument with the next person in line, because they might have a different idea. So, I don't think we could get this across to a, an unbeliever or a secularist, but, but it's maybe help, hopefully it's helpful for us to keep that in mind ourselves as we try and share truth with them. Well, or they, they've been deceived, they've been blinded, right, by the evil one, yeah, which would given a strong delusion to, to believe a lie. That's true. Uh, and we've covered that in a number of different ways, too. Okay, so let's look at going on. Letter B, exposing secularism's inconsistencies, hypocrisy, and arbitrary, arbitrary nature are potent refutations of that worldview. Again, we've covered this from a, a lot of different angles through this set of studies, um, so we can do that. I mean, you can f- find holes in their logic or just shred it to pieces, really. However, what we're going to focus on here, kind of from here on in, is letter C, on the opposite end of the spectrum, or on the other hand, from the other perspective, pointing out where we agree, where we agree with the secularists can be equally powerful. So the point here is, number one underneath that, well, and then again, basically, you might say, what, agree with a secularist? Yeah, we can. When we look at this, when you drill down past the emotionalism, uh, the logical fallacies, and the bad argumentation, number one, typically at the core, at the core of the unbeliever's argumentation is an appeal to some biblical principle with which we wholeheartedly agree. At the core of what their argument is, it's really probably a biblical principle that we agree with. And you have the table there underneath that bullet. Uh, and it, it, the point is there, it's true for any topic. From the secular perspective, why fight for abortion? They would say... Women are equal and to be valued and respected. Let's 
let's turn to that. Let's turn to Genesis 127. I would, I would say, okay, how many of you have, have it memorized? Which I wouldn't be surprised some of you do, but I'm not going to put you on the spot. Let's just turn to it and look at it. And again, this really is, I mean, you know, the ministry uh, Answers in Genesis, which this book basically is a guy there works for Answers in Genesis or works there. I mean, that, that's their foundation. The Genesis 1-1 is their logo. logo. Everything begins from Genesis, really. And so here in, in verse 27 of Genesis, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We've covered this on the chapters about feminism and isn't the, the Bible sexist and all these things. It's like there are certainly roles, which we reminded ourselves, there are roles that men and women are to play, to follow. Again, God's plan, God's methods are the best if we follow it. And his methods are so that the, the male is the leader, <clears throat> has the responsibilities, so forth. The woman is there to support, to help. So it's... It, but. They're not, co- they're not, they're still equal of the same value. They're all made in the image of God. So we agree with the secularists who would say, who you would use as his argument for abortion, that, well, women are equal and they should be valued and respected. We agree they are equal and should be valued and respected. But that doesn't mean you can't logically go from that foundational principle to say abortion is okay which we've covered before. But again, the principle they're going from, we would agree with. Yeah, that's a good point. Again, with the, the transgender movement nowadays, they're, they're basically taking the equality away in women's sports. And again, even people who tend to be on that side of agreeing with these things are rising up and saying, well, this isn't right. You can't have a guy who is, a person who is physically a male who says they're a female and have them compete in athletics, that is not right. Because, again, there's, it's like we're of equal value and so forth, but it doesn't mean we're the same. Um, good point. So that, that's kind of, again, as you put the biblical principles aside, it just keeps going further and further down, and, and even the things that many of them once stood for, it gets eroded away as well. Okay, so again, euthanasia. The idea is humans are worthy of dignity and mercy. Genesis 127 applies just as well. We are all made in the image of God. That makes us of uh, incalculable value. What, what was that verse again? Matthew 10:27. The point is we are of much more value than the sparrows, but he still cares for them, but we are of much more value than them because we are made in the image of God. Um, oh, and when I said about the image of God, we covered this too. That means effectively that we are God's representatives on the earth. And so it's sufficient, it's, uh, it's proper for us to place sacred value on every person. Um, just one more um, in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, let's see here. Okay, your next one is, yeah, I don't want to go there yet. Hmm. Okay, let's, let's skip down for a second, and then we'll come back up to social justice. But the LGBTQ, the BLT, okay, uh, rights, again, here, 
All humans are worthy of care, love, and fair treatment. Again, Genesis 1.27. But let's, let's look at uh, Matthew 7.12. Matthew 7.12, again, uh, a familiar passage. The Sermon on the Mount, near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's such a familiar passage, it kind of has a little um, a phrase. We give it a nickname, if you will. That's not the right term. The one we call the golden rule, right? Matthew seven twelve. Jesus, continuing to teach here, says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So based on that principle as well, yeah, we should, we should give these people care and love and fair treatment. The word fair is tricky. And actually, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I say are worthy of care. The author had deserve care. I hate that word. We don't deserve anything. Not a single one of us deserve anything. But we are worthy because we are made in the image of God. We are worthy of care and love and a fair treatment. But we've covered this before and over the, these set of lessons as well. That doesn't mean in the, in the issues that we've covered of homosexuality, transgenderism, these things, that, that, we, that we approve of their sin or we say that it's okay. That's not the love that we should express, but we should lovingly share the truth as God gives us the opportunity. And if we don't really have an, an opportunity to talk to somebody in a particular situation we should at least be kind and gracious because that's what God would have us to do but it doesn't doesn't mean we agree with it or say that they're not sinning we never condone sin of any sort so we shouldn't condone that either okay um, the third item on in your chart there social justice as we covered in the previous lesson justice is very important to God Um, there it says there justice is good and right and we would agree with that. Justice is good and right. Turn, if you would, this is just a little rehash of what we covered when we went over some of this before. I really enjoyed these passages. Go to Psalm 89, verse 14. This was, I remember this being a real encouragement to me when, I, when we went through it before. Psalm 89, 14, it says, Righteousness, if you have an old King James, I would say justice there. So is righteousness and justice, or the King James would say judgment. The point is, judgment and justice are in there, okay? Are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So, from God's perspective, righteousness and judgment, justice, is the foundation of his throne. He, it's very important. It is the basis of who God is. So, we as those made in his image ought to try and follow that. We also should be just. We also should do our best to be righteous. Okay, turn to uh, Proverbs then, Proverbs chapter 1. So if these things are so important, you would think God would want to teach us these things, right? Justice and judgment. And in Proverbs chapter 1, just as he's getting at the beginning of this very practical, instructive book of Proverbs, starting in verse 1, it's really verse 3 is the key verse, but starting in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, 
to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. Okay, so that's important. He wants those, the readers, those who are he, he's teaching, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. This is important to God. Okay, just turn uh, back to Proverbs 21. Turn forward, turn towards the back of your Bible, whatever, to Proverbs 21. And anyway, you could go on and on. Uh, we could do more than this. I'm just touching on a few highlights. But this is, this is uh, again, showing the importance of this to God. Proverbs 21.3 says, to do, ju- to do righteousness, the King James would say justice there, and justice, the King James would say judgment again, is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Of course, in the days of the, you know, the Jew at that time, the sacrifice was very important. Sacrifice done in the right way was acceptable. God laid it out so that people would put forth proper sacrifices that had at least temporary value, looking forward to Christ's coming. But to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So it is important, okay? All hum- uh, justice is good and right. Absolutely it is. It's very important to God. We as followers of God, as representatives of God on earth, ought to do justice and judgment as well. But... Does that mean this social justice is right? Uh, all around it, we see injustice being done, really, in, in the name of social justice. You, you can't try and do what they're doing with social justice without actually being unjust in much of what you do. So again, the, the principle is right, is, is, from, is borrowed from Scripture, but the application is wrong. And then uh, environmentalism. The earth is to be valued and taken care of. Um, all right. If, if you're so motivated, you can turn back to Genesis 126. Um, and then, then we'll go to 1 Corinthians 4. But first, back to the foundational chapter. Before it talks about him creating man in his own image, he talks about the earth. Well... Actually, it's talking, okay, he's getting ready to create man in his own image, talking, talking to himself here in, within the triune Godhead. He says in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Um, I, I don't know how many times I've read that passage, and we've covered it in these sets of lessons, but honestly, I had kind of forgotten that that was embedded in there. He talks about all the animals, but he says the earth itself, over all the earth. We have been given dominion not just over the animals on the earth, but all the earth. So again, God cared for his creation, so should we. I didn't actually have that in my notes right, but I, we got it covered. Yeah, yes, that's true. It's, it's not like we have, we have responsibility to take care of the whole earth, we as an individual. But if we do our part, right, the earth would be taken care of. If we don't abuse it and no one else abuses it, it will be, be well taken care of. And, if we do, and sometimes you have to do more than just not abuse it. You have to 
try and help in some areas. Um, so if we do that, kind of fearing God and in his wisdom, um, it, it'll, be, it'll be fine. Um, there is something else that, well, I know, well, I, I'm not sure this, it's related to what you just said about the recycled wools, the, 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 the number, numbers on, on the plastic bottles and all, but I know when we were in Maryland, we did, we went through a recycling process and we would separate out, but we only had to recycle up to like number four or five. I forget how that was. The other things beyond that, we did not recycle. We just threw it in the regular trash. So I don't know if different municipalities or whatever have different rules. Certainly here, we, I don't see plastic recycling. Um, so it's a local that's, again, I guess, uh, maybe, maybe they should be doing that. Or, but, but then I've also heard things, and I, I'm really talking out of authority here. I, I mean, I don't have the authority. To, I'm just, I've heard that even that process of bringing the plastic back, of recycling it, can be harmful in and of itself, whatever that process is that they go through. Okay, um, all right, so we've talked about this here. Basically, at the core of the unbeliever's argumentation is an appeal to some biblical principle with which we agree, and that's in your chart there. Number two, under that, what we disagree with is the twisting the twisting and misapplication of the given biblical principle. Uh, The author actually added, he said, um, we also disagree with the fact that they have hijacked the principle from the Bible. They've, okay, so they've kind of, and boy, we can hijack just about anything out of the Bible and misapply it. we need to be careful, even within the church, to not do that ourselves, to, to extract something out of the, from the Bible out of context and misuse it. But uh, they've taken a concept or principle, totally taken God out of the picture and, and tried to solve it their own way. So in that sense, they've hijacked it. But as the author, this is a, another quote from the author, he says, Begin, if the universe is a cosmic accident, which the secularists would say, with no absolute or eternal purpose, why care about any of these things? The core principles that fuel secular passion are, are things that Christians approve of because they come from and only from the Bible. All right, let's, let's continue. Roman numeral number two. Showing the secularist... Uh, where we agree, and that he has good reason, reason for the, to be passionate for a particular principle is a powerful argument against secularism and for biblical truth. And I think this, this will go back to what, what Denise mentioned earlier, um, maybe not in the words she was using, but, but it demonstrates to the unbeliever or shows the unbeliever that the principle they love does exist, but only comes from God. And if maybe by God's grace we might have opportunity to share with somebody who is an unbeliever or a secularist in these areas, we can help hopefully point them to that reality, that truth. It's like, where, why do you think that's true? Or why do you think that's good? What is the source of that for you? And we can share with them that actually the source actually is from God himself, the creator, the one who put it all in motion, the one who gave us breath. So he 
the principle that they love. Basically, God made it. He, he set that principle out. He defines it. And it, it's only rightly realized within a biblical framework. Their worldview has no rational basis for the values they claim to lift up. Their worldview has no basis, again, because they have no absolute authority. It's all made up in their own minds. Okay, the unbeliever, letter B, the unbeliever's awareness of a truth. Okay, we've, some of these principles they acknowledge are there, is their actual motivation to, to do these things. So there's some truth they are aware of, misapplied as it may be, shows the morality and conscience given them by their creator. This is kind of going back to what Denise commented on earlier, that they, that they have a conscience. They can think. They can reason. But what's that based on? Only, only comes from God. Romans, turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 2. The unbeliever's awareness of a truth, misapplied as it may be, shows the morality and conscience given them by their creator. So if you go to Romans chapter 2, go back to, uh, we'll go back to verse 12. Here. It says, For as many as have sinned without law, will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Then in, uh, in both the King James and New King James, a parenthetical statement begins in verse 13 and ends at the end of 15. It says, But for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law... These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day, and then the end of parentheses, and then in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So there it says, verse Again, the, and it's interesting, honestly, uh, I've looked at this before, but I haven't just recently. Interesting, I mean, by nature, we know by nature we're sinners, okay? But, but the, the use of by nature here is a, is a little, has a little bit more of a benign, good sense in that the Gentiles don't have the written law. They don't follow the written law, but... They, they still sort of know in their heart, in their conscience, what right is. So it says that when they, by nature, not necessarily by legal written down law per se, but by nature do the things in the law, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. So, yes, they have a conscience. They know right from wrong to some degree they're also blinded to some degree so they're going to be confused in this but there is some sense where they have a conscience and also there's talk somewhere about their conscience being seared as a hot iron uh, as by a hot iron so the conscience can be seared as one continues to rebel against God or refuse the truth whatever but it's there we all have a conscience 
And that's what the unbeliever does when he's, he, he, he tries to do what he thinks is right because he's got a conscience. Because kind of, of the conscience that's part of us, you kind again, the further into sin one goes, the more seared their conscience can be. But, but basically, even those who don't have the law, by they, they, it's kind of right. Just like Ken Ham, I, I never again when, when he shares about one of his talks, and he came up, somebody says, "I don't believe what you said about that," and I, and he says, "Well, I believe I, I'm going to shoot you." And he says, "No, that's not right." He says, "Why not?" Because it's not right. He says, "Why not?" He's like. Why isn't it right that I, I think I'm going to shoot you? So, well, that's not right. Why isn't it right? It's instinctively in us, we know that's not right. I've heard they're wanting to expand that. Have you heard that? Instead, I, I really, I, I somewhere heard that they're looking to make it more than just Pride Month, but like for the whole summer or something like that. Again, we, we it, it kind of keeps on keeping on. So again, some of the comments that were made there about that, you know, you go back to terms of conscience, you go back to Adam and Eve when they first sinned, they realized they were, they were naked, they tried to hide themselves, and that is the nature. You, they'll say maybe that it wasn't wrong, but they're trying to hide it. Even little kids, they do that, right? They do something wrong, they'll hide it. They know it wasn't right. It's not what mom and dad wanted, but, but they hide it. So Again, as, uh, again, from the book, he said, that as, as God's image bearers, every human has the truthfulness of the biblical worldview written on their hearts and hears the unceasing testimony of creation and their conscience. As they look around them, they see it. But still the effects of the fall are also on display as the unbeliever attempts to twist what is good for their own sinful purposes. All right, last one we're going to go to here, I think. Uh, Letter C, ultimately, the reason the unbeliever doesn't make the connection of his passion, his passion based on these concepts, to the Bible is because he doesn't want to. Those are your two blanks. You could make that three blanks, does not want to, or two blanks, doesn't want to. That's the ultimately the reason they don't make that connection because they don't want to. You're in Romans chapter 2. Just turn back, turn whatever. Turn, turn to Romans two, chapter 1. Again, a passage you have, we have read many a time and from, for many different, from many different angles. Let's look at it from this angle, that they don't really want to make the connection with the Bible and, and their, the passion that they have for some of these issues. Romans 1, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The truth is there. It's, it's there for them to see, for them to behold, but, but they suppress it in unrighteousness. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his indivisible attributes are clearly seen, but seen by the, underst- the seen, being understanding, being, oh boy, yeah. For since the creation of the world, his indivisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, 
even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. And again, I think for each individual, there's a sense throughout some stage of their life, they don't know him through Christ, but they know he's there. They somehow know he's there, and he is God. But they were not thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So, again, professing to be wise, they became fools. They take these principles that are in their heart in some way, shape, or form, but then they twist it and misapply it. So... uh, Anyways, that, that's kind of where we are. That's, that's why they don't want to make this connection. And we'll finish this up, uh, Lord willing, next time. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we, uh, again, thank you for, we, we so thank you for your word. For we know that if it weren't for that, we would have our own ideas, and they'd be different from one another, and uh, there'd be no continuity, there'd be no agreement. But we thank you that even though many won't read your written word, you have put in their hearts a conscience that, that does know right from wrong. We pray that you would help us to be used of you to those whom, in whom you've opened up their hearts and minds, their consciences to, to receive your word, that we'd be able to share with them and that they would be glad to receive it and come to know the Savior for themselves. <clears throat> we do pray now that you would be with the service to come, guide and direct in all that we do. We do pray that you'd be with Joshua as he leads the music, be with us, all of us as we Sing together as we pray. Be with uh, Alan as he brings your, your word to us. We uh, look forward to hearing from your word through him and pray that it would be just that, your word uh, presented through him. And we pray that we would just uh, be edified for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.